Hello, this is the Untangling Anxiety Podcast. I'm your host, Betsy Russell. I am a mom of four children with OCD and other anxiety disorders, a wife of a husband with OCD, and a former elementary school teacher. This podcast is about learning to untangle our thoughts and worries, and then sharing this understanding with those we love. It's also going to be about the transformations that can occur when we invest our time and resources into making connections, being vulnerable, and ultimately finding healing for ourselves and our family. You can expect to hear from me each week. I will share with you actionable steps you can take to untangle your anxiety and live a more free and empowered life. I'll be bringing on guests, both people just like you and me, that walk the road of anxiety every day as well as mindfulness, parenting, and mental health experts. I started this podcast because several years ago, I could have really used someone to connect with who understood what I was going through, something to remind me I wasn't alone during those days when my family was so lost in the labyrinth of anxiety. I hope you learned something, let go of the guilt you are carrying, and find more peace and resilience. Now take a deep breath. It's time to start untangling anxiety. Hey, welcome. Today, I wanted to talk about anxiety. I wanted to break it down and give you the basic information that every single human should know, whether or not you have anxiety. This information has been life-changing for me, and I hope that it helps you too. I'd like to begin with some examples. I'm going to use my daughter, Olivia, who I interviewed in episode two of this podcast Olivia avoided social situations, exercise, and some foods, along with many other things. (laughs) Those are the three examples that we'll use for today because she was terrified of certain outcomes. So many opportunities were lost and unavailable to her because of her intense fear. We didn't know that there was an alternative. We thought that she was just shy, lazy, and picky. And once we learned that her brain was giving her false information, it was as if someone had just turned on the light in a dark room. And guess what? She now speaks to and spends time with others with little or no discomfort. Hey, she was on a podcast, right? She's been on a few. She exercises regularly and she even eats eggs, which she, they used to be absolutely disgusting to her. And it wasn't, the eggs weren't disgusting based on preference. It was based on her OCD. And she now is able to eat them um, because she's chosen them as her nourishment. My sweet Olivia is only one example of the miracles that can occur in the life of someone who puts their mind and heart into finding healing from the effects of anxiety. And I want to talk to you today and break down those pieces. So the first thing that I talk about that's kind of at the basis of everything I teach is something that I call the worry loop. And the worry loop, it is a loop. It is a lot like a cycle in a bad habit or even a good habit. Just something that our brain allows us to loop through continually. When we want to change our behavior, we have to break the current loop that we're not satisfied with and create a new one. So in the worry loop, I'm going to walk you through each piece. There are six elements in the worry loop. The first one is titled alert 
that there is danger. So somehow we sense that there is danger. Our brain senses it. So for Olivia, when she's put into a setting, a social setting, um, that could be an alert for her. Obviously exercise would be an alert or (laughs) seeing some kind of something disgusting uh, would be an alert for her. Number two is something called our worry monster wakes up. And essentially I use worry monster. It's our worry, it's our brain, but worry monster is I think such a great way to describe (laughs) what's going on in our brain. So that worry monster wakes up and also and sees what we've already sensed that's dangerous or scary, whatever setting we're in. The third part is called worry or discomfort. Anyone that has ever told you that when you're feeling anxious, that it's not real and that you're overreacting, I am here right now to tell you and to validate that what you are feeling feels real to you and that there is actually a physical reaction to the thought or idea of being in danger. You're going to have a physical reaction and it's going to be real and feel real to you. Number four is the urge to do something to feel better. Of course, that is also our, our brains naturally want to create comfort. They always are seeking, our brains are seeking the path of least resistance, seeking comfort. And so this urge to do something to feel better is 100% natural and a normal function of our brain. Number five is doing things to feel better. So this actual, this action is where we we can step in and where we have control of the situation is what we do to help us feel better. So for example, in Olivia's situation, she would like, let's say in a social setting, she either would not participate or be seen in a social setting, or let's say she was out to dinner with us, with her family and was asked to order, would just be a normal, natural thing for her to order her food and she wouldn't do it. And she would ask someone else to order for her. That would be something that she would do to to feel better. She's super uncomfortable. She has the urge to do something to help her feel better. And what she thinks will help her feel better is not saying anything. So that's step number five is not saying anything, having someone else speak for you. Or she would also, in order to do the, another thing she would do to feel better with her fear of panic attacks would be not to exercise, not to get her heart rate up. Or how would she would feel better with things that discuss her was she wouldn't look at them. She obviously would not eat them or touch them, have any sort of interaction with them. That would help her feel better. Number six, that's number five is doing things to feel better. Number six, the danger is proven to be real. What we've just done by doing something, by acting on our urge to feel better and doing something about it, we've just proven to our brain that that threat was real. And next time our brain encounters that threat, it will remember that we had to do something to make ourselves feel better and it will send us back into this loop. The only way to break this loop is to take out step five, is to take out the do things to feel better. Once we do that, that loop is broken and it allows us then to create a new loop that is healthy and strong. A new loop where when we are alerted that there is danger, 
stranger. And we can even have these a physical reaction and then an, and even an urge, but we can then say to our brain, no, I know that I am safe and I'm not going to do anything to make myself feel better. It is okay for me to feel uncomfortable. It's okay for me to do things that are hard and that create discomfort. That is how we break that loop. Now, sometimes breaking that loop and avoiding that urge or not avoiding the urge, but avoiding doing something to make ourselves feel better feels astronomically hard. It's like we were asked because this whole thing, what we are doing is building resistance. We're training our brain and telling, asking our brain to build strength and resistance. Sometimes if we are doing weight training, if there's no little or no weight, we're not actually building muscle. And if the weight is too heavy, we can't even pick it up to build muscle. So there's something that I call the anxietyometer. The anxietyometer is like a pain scale that you would see in a hospital or doctor's office where one is little to no pain and 10 is like the most intense pain. It's the same, but just with anxiety. So number one would be little or no anxiety. And then all the way up to 10 would be intense anxiety. And the, you know, one, two, three, four, that is like a little to no weight if you were doing weight training, whereas eight, nine, and 10 would be so heavy, you couldn't even pick it up. What we call the sweet spot is five, six, and seven. That is the area where you're going to feel resistance. It will be heavy, but it won't be so heavy that it seems impossible. That is where our new pathways and our resistance is built is in five, six, and seven. Sometimes when we are asked to face our fear, we do hit that eight, nine, and 10. And so what do you do? Do you just like forget it, throw your hands up? No, there's something called middle path. So middle path helps us when those fears feel too heavy um, and too difficult. We can choose a middle path, a kind of middle ground that allows us to build, to have resistance and to build those mind muscles when, when the full amount of facing our fear feels too hard. So a few examples, let's say that your fear, like Olivia's, is being in social settings. Facing that fear obviously would be to be in social settings. More specifically, let's say Olivia, she was afraid to order her meal at a restaurant. Facing the fear would be to order her meal, right? Middle path would be something like she would order her drink or if she didn't get a drink or, you know, she'd ask for water or something like that. And then a parent would order her meal for her or maybe even a step up, she would be able to order her meal. But then sometimes, you know, like if the server asks her questions that are unexpected, that might feel too hard. And so her parents could step in and create that middle path in order for her to still, it would still be difficult. She still would be uncomfortable, but it wouldn't be so uncomfortable. Another example is driving a car. There are plenty of people out there that simply do not drive because they are terrified to drive. Facing the fear would be driving the car. If that seems absolutely impossible and maybe even like, maybe it's not even safe at the beginning because your anxiety is so high. Middle path would be sitting in the driver's seat of the car without driving. You could even not have the keys in. Sometimes even having the keys in like just creates way too much 
anxiety. So that would be middle path. Another example, um, some people have the fear of being imperfect called perfectionism. Uh, So if we think of a a child or a student, they're afraid of their homework being imperfect. And so they're like writing and rewriting and erasing or, you know, whatever it is on the computer or anything. And they want it to be perfect. And it is keeping them from actually being able to live a free life because they're spending so much time on their homework. So facing that fear would be doing something imperfect on purpose and not correcting the mistake. Uh, There's something also in the mental health world called quick and reckless. They would do their homework. They would set a timer and they would have to do their homework in a reasonable amount of time and not correct anything. So quick and reckless. If that seems too intense, then a middle path would be uh, either setting a longer timer or allowing a certain amount of corrections on each assignment. So all of these things, those pieces, that is what I have practiced (laughs) with all four of my kids and with my husband, been through a hundred plus hours of therapy and then practicing these things in our home. Being able to take someone's fear, figure out how they face that fear, and then also be able to create some middle path is <laughs> what I've been doing for the past several years. And that is that is what I want to share with others is this mind-blowing knowledge that has changed my family's life and in some cases saved their life because the anxiety was so intense. Getting out of this worry loop is tricky and And some of the ways that we ask, like even the quick and reckless, it seems unconventional, doesn't it? It seems wrong, but we have to do things a little bit unconventional in order to break that loop. We have to be a little bit reckless in order to to break that cycle. And it works. I have seen it work over and over and over again. Knowing what's going on in your brain and that you've essentially been letting your worry sit in the driver's seat is mind-blowing, isn't it? And then realizing that you get to say, hey, you, I got this. Let me drive. I know the way. I got you. Compassionately taking over and powerfully stepping into your place will cause your life to get back on track in such a beautiful way. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is freedom knowledge is joy. I would love for you to be able to take this knowledge and run with it to find your power, find your freedom, find your joy. I will link three free PDFs of all of these concepts that I've talked about if you need a visual in the show notes. Please pass this on to anyone that you think would benefit from it and I'll see you next week. Thanks for joining me, Betsy Russell, on the Untangling Anxiety Podcast. I'm so glad you're here and honored that you've taken the time in your busy schedule to join me for honest conversations about anxiety. It brings me so much joy to shine the light on anxiety. Will you leave a rating and review? Just scroll down to the bottom of this episode, hit the five star, and write a little comment about how this has helped you. This helps my podcast get seen and help others. Also, I'd love to see what you're doing while you're listening to this podcast. So snap a selfie and tag me at Untangling Anxiety and post it on Instagram. We'll see you next week.